If there's one thing that I don't really like in life, it's a spoiler. I don't know if you've ever heard the expression before, spoiler alert, but spoilers are not something that I particularly like. If you don't know this phrase, a spoiler is basically uh, when someone who has seen a movie or read a book or watched a TV show spoils something for you in a plot line. They give away the ending before you've had a chance to see the movie. I call them friends, but after they spoil it, they are no longer your friend. Do not associate with these people. Some people take pleasure in spoiling things, so I stay very, very far away from them. I don't like them if I haven't seen the ending of a movie yet. I don't really like spoilers in life when I can create and protect those opportunities to be surprised. So, for example, as some of you know, Jessica and I, who are expecting, we're not going to find out uh, the gender of our child until February, and that's a little bit more of, of my preference. So whenever we go into a doctor's appointment, I always remind the nurse or the doctor that we're not finding out the gender of the child. Sometimes I overdo it. Sometimes we're just there to, to take blood pressure, and I will tell the nurse that we are not finding out the gender of the child, to which Jessica will softly look at me and just say, that is not what we're going to be doing in this appointment today. There is no risk of finding that out. But again, I don't want to be surprised. I don't want that to be spoiled for us. I like a spoiler alert. If you're going to tell me where something's headed, go ahead and just tell me that so I can either cover my ears or end the friendship in that moment. I really don't like spoilers when it comes to sermons. And what I mean by that is I like a sense of intrigue, a sense of a sermon heading somewhere. I don't want to give everything away before we take a journey together through this moment of the preached word. I want sermons to have a trajectory, and I don't always think that it's good to give away the ending before you even start the sermon. And yet, this morning, I'm going to break my general principle for sermons and to not spoil any sermons. And I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to spoil this week's sermon and next week's sermon as well. Because this week and next week, we're, we're talking about particular kinds of of gifts. We're talking about serving gifts this week, and then next week we're going to be talking about speaking gifts. Uh, and I want to go ahead and let you know the spoiler for this week and next week, and that is this. Everyone has the gift of serving, and everyone has the gift of speaking. Now please come while we stand and sing for this week and next week. Some of you may be okay with that, so I'm going to keep moving right along before John kicks into the song. That's not what I want to focus on for the next two weeks. What I want to focus on is this question, not the fact that we all have speaking gifts, but this, but what does it look like for us to offer these gifts to others? What does it look like for you and me to offer the gift of speaking to others? What does it look like for you and me to offer the gift of serving and of service to others? And the way that I want to answer the question about serving and service today is to begin in a text that is not where I thought we would start this sermon. Uh, but it was brought to my attention a few weeks ago uh, when I was talking to a friend who's in full-time congregational ministry. He preaches at another church in this state. And he told me something that I didn't realize about him. And that is he told me that every year, he picks a theme verse for his ministry. 
Now, I've heard of people picking a word of the year. I've heard of people picking a verse of the year. But this was a cool insight into my friend's devotional life because he said, I try to pick a Bible verse that's going to guide my ministry to this church for the next year. And he told me that his verse for this year comes from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 and 6, where we read these words of Paul. He writes this, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And as my friend reflected on that verse, I asked him why that was the one that he chose to, to be his guiding passage for the year. And he said, the question that I am wrestling with this year as a minister is simply, what does it mean for me to not just be a servant, but to be a servant for Jesus' sake? Uh, what does it mean for me in this role at my church and in my family and in the various functions that he performs where he lives? What does it mean for me to be not just any kind of servant, but a servant for Jesus' sake? This really interesting phrase that Paul uses here. And as he talked, and as I prepared for our sermon this week, I was, I was brought back to this passage. Because as we think about that question, what does it look like for you and me to offer our gifts of service to the world and to one another? I think this passage from Paul is extremely helpful and provides us a, a great answer to that question. Because what Paul is describing here is not just something that he does, but it's something that he is. Now, 2 Corinthians is this really fascinating letter uh, because Paul's been in relationship with the church at Corinth for many, many years. It's a church he planted and that he would often write back to. That's why we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is really interesting because Paul is on the defense. In other words, he's defending his ministry for various reasons and because of various individuals and groups, Paul's being questioned. His ministry is on the attack. And so he writes this letter to explain to this church that he loves deeply the purpose and the reason and the rationale for his ministry. 2 Corinthians is this great glimpse into how Paul thought about what he was doing in his ministry. But if you read through this letter, you will quickly see that for Paul, it's, it's not just about what he does as his ministry, but it's about who he is. That for Paul, his call to be a minister, his call to be a servant, wasn't just some kind of external action, but it was core to his central identity. And what's really interesting, if you begin reading through the letters of Paul, you're going to see Paul use a very similar phrase in a few other places. If I show this next slide, you'll see some of the places where he uses this expression. At the beginning of the letter to the church at Rome, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, 
to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Galatians 1 verse 10, Paul writes, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul's fundamental understanding of himself was that service and ministry was not something that he did, but it's something that he was. In all seasons and circumstances, Paul kept coming back to this foundational identity about how he understood who he was in Jesus. And I say in all seasons and circumstances, because here was kind of my aha moment as I was reflecting on these passages this week. When Paul writes to these various churches, Paul is writing to some very different circumstances. In 2 Corinthians, when he says he's a servant for Jesus' sake, Paul is defending his ministry. So he's kind of at tension. He's at odds with this church. Uh, when he writes to the letter, Church of Rome, He doesn't really know this church. These are pretty much strangers to Paul. It's a church that he has yet to visit. And yet, he's a servant of Christ Jesus. To the church in Philippi, this church that brought him joy, this church where the gospel was flourishing, Paul is filled with joy towards this church. And Paul still calls himself a servant of Jesus. A servant of Christ Jesus. And then in the, in the letter to the church at Galatia, they're completely getting the gospel wrong. And so Paul's really fired up when he writes this letter. But before he does that, the first thing or an early thing that he says about himself is what? That he is a servant of Christ Jesus. He's a servant of Jesus. It doesn't matter what's going on with the church that he is talking to or that he's writing to or that he's interacting with. He still has this fundamental, foundational primary identity that he is a servant of Christ external circumstances don't impact Paul's self-understanding about who he is at his core whether he's in a good place with a church or a bad place with a church or he's fed up with a church he's still a servant and if I were to, to try to sum up what I see as this theme in Paul's writing that I think is relevant for us today, and it helps us answer that question, what does it look like for, offer, for us to offer our gifts of service? I would, I would say it this way, that service is not just something that we do, but it's something that we are because of Jesus. That service is not just an action that we take but an identity that we have in Christ. Service is is not just something that pours out of us, but it's something that's central to who we are. Because that we have this identity as servants of Jesus. We then move out into the world to offer our service or our ministry to others. And I intentionally say of Jesus or in Christ in both of these expressions, in both of these sentences, because it draws our attention to the thing that I think Paul was trying to to draw those churches' attention to in those letters that we just surveyed, that we take our cues from Jesus, that we take our cues about what it means to be a servant from 
Jesus, that we model our service through the same framework that Jesus modeled his. And I can think of no better example in the life and ministry and teaching of Jesus of what this looks like practically than John 13. John 13 is when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It is such a common part of our imaginations that we can often use that expression, well, they're just washing the feet of others because it is so central to how we understand what service is modeled by Jesus. And as I was reflecting on John 13 this week, what what struck me about this moment of service in the life of Jesus is not what Jesus does necessarily, but how John describes the moment before Jesus washes their feet. Right at the beginning of John 13, we read these words. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I underline those first couple of verses to draw attention to something that is equally as important of what Paul says. The reason why Jesus could do something that was so scandalous in that time and place, a teacher And Lord, to take on the role of servant or slave among not just his friends, but even the one who would betray him, started with Jesus having a clear sense of his identity, a clear sense of who he was, a clear sense of where he was from. He was so secure in his identity in God. He was so grounded in where he had come from and where he was going back to that he could pour out this gift of service, not just to people who liked him, but to people who were about to betray him. You've got to be pretty grounded in your identity to not just wash the feet of people who you like, but people that you know are about to betray you. Jesus models for us what it looks like for us to offer our gift of service. Not placing it in the hands of others of how they may respond or react, but placing it in the hands of God. Not trying to please others, but but trying to please and to live into that identity that God has given you and given me. In Christ, we are secure. We know where we have come from, and we know where we are going, and so we can freely offer the gift of service to the world. And when we have that kind of security that Jesus had, that would lead him to show the full extent of his love on the cross, then we too can offer scandalous kinds of service to the world. And I say the word scandalous just to again draw attention to the fact that what Jesus is doing here would have been considered upside down and mind-boggling to those disciples. In his book, Who Is This Man?, John Ortberg talks about the impact that Jesus has had on our entire world for the last 2,000 years. And he writes this book for believers, but I think this is a, a book for people who wouldn't even consider themselves believers. Because as he says, no matter what you think about Jesus, you cannot deny the impact that he has had on 
so many aspects of our society and civilization that we take for granted. We just think expressions like servant leadership are, are normal in our world. But 2,000 years ago, that would have seemed like a contradiction in terms to that time and to those people in that place. And Jesus himself is the one who begins to, to turn the ladder upside down. And Ortberg in each chapter kind of talks about different ways that Jesus has changed our world. And in one chapter in particular, it's called, provocatively so, Jesus was not a great man. Kind of catches your attention when you open that chapter. But what he goes on is to talk about how Jesus redefined what it meant to be great. Because in his time and in his place, it was very much a ladder society. And what I mean by that is the goal was to be on the top of the ladder of society or to be connected to the top of the ladder of society. And what Jesus does is he intentionally chooses to stoop. He intentionally chooses to serve. He intentionally chooses not to play those ladder games. And does what? He carries out the role of a servant. He does something that, that messiahs weren't supposed to do. That teachers and lords weren't supposed to do. He takes on literally the uniform of a servant or a slave in that time and place, and he models something radical and scandalous to his disciples. Ortberg has this great quote to close the chapter. He writes these words. He says, He entered the world wearing swaddling clothes and exited in the towel of a slave. Think of him whatever we may. Greatness looks different now. What it means to be great and successful and accomplished is turned upside down in God's kingdom. Ortberg goes on to talk about John 13 and also Matthew 20, the passage that we read just a second ago, where Jesus says that if you want to be great, become least. If, if you want to be great, become a servant. Turn the world upside down by choosing to stoop and to serve and give up of self for the sake of others. In God's kingdom, that's what greatness looks like. And because Jesus modeled this, showing the full extent of his love, giving up himself for the sake of the world on a cross, the world has never been the same since then. And our identities have never been the same since then. And so because we have that security and assurance in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we can now live that out in this world. A couple of weeks ago, I was on the phone with a, a member of this congregation. And we were playing phone tag a little bit because we were out of town, and we finally got on the phone with each other. And they told me that they wanted to give some money to a particular ministry that they knew about in our church. They knew of it, but they didn't know a lot about it. And so they were asking me to, to share with them a little bit of who leads it, what do they do, just asking some general questions. And I've gotten those phone calls before, so that wasn't really a, a surprising part of the conversation. But the conversation took an unexpected turn when I asked this individual. I said, um, can you tell me a little bit about kind of why you're drawn to this ministry and, and what it is about that ministry that, that makes you want to give to it? And they shared with me a little bit about what had been going on in their life over the last several months and the last several years. And I quickly realized that what had changed was not the, the view of that ministry, but the view of themselves. And then they said something to me that I've been thinking about as I've prepared for the sermon this morning. This is what they said. They said, 
I am realizing that I have been a selfish person a very long time. I don't want to be that kind of person anymore. I want to serve. I thought of this quote because I felt like this person was experiencing something that I've seen others in our congregation experience and others in our congregation live out. What they were talking about was a fundamental shift that was happening at the core of who they were. I don't want to be that kind of person anymore. I don't want to be the kind of person who lives turn inward. I don't want to be the kind of person that is completely selfish about my time, energy, effort, and resources. I don't want to be that kind of person anymore. I want to serve. I want to be the kind of person who's turned out towards others, who's turned out towards the world, who doesn't just get lost in what I'm all about, but I want to see what's going on in the life of others because if there's a place that I can help, if there's a place that I can give time, energy, effort, resources, I want to be that kind of person. This individual who I am so proud of is not just shifting the externals of their life. They're having an internal shift about how they understand themselves. And it's not just happening with this one person. It's happening throughout this church, whether we realize it or not. And if you don't realize it, I want to tell you about something that's going to happen in a few weeks that I would highly encourage you to be here for. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to be having something that we're calling the College Hills Ministry Fair. It's going to happen on Overflow Sunday. It's Sunday, November 5th. You're going to get the whole time change the night before, so be prepared. But be here at 845. Because what you're going to find is you're going to walk into our fellowship hall and there are going to be dozens and dozens of tables representing ministries here at College Hills. And it is so encouraging to see how many different individuals and groups and initiatives are happening that are trying to be a different kind of person in the world. And I was talking to Johnny about this fair this past week, and he's going to say a little bit more about it in our announcements. But what he told me that was really exciting was we have over 40 different ministries happening here and around the world that are reflections and representations of College Hills, both in Lebanon and in Wilson County, throughout the country and throughout the world. And that is so encouraging to me. Because while it might be a little bit over 40 ministries, there's hundreds of us who are involved in different kinds of work where we are trying to be servants of Jesus Christ. Where we are trying to reflect that towel-shaped, foot-washing model that we see in Jesus. There's so many of us who are striving to be that kind of person. I saw a beautiful glimpse of this just a couple of weeks ago. Back in the student ministry area, we had our families count graduation. And there were these two young mothers who are raising kids, and they are struggling, and they are having all kinds of challenges. But Courtney Smith, and Angela Briggs, and Stephanie Bost, Jim and Julie Christ, Landon and Autumn Roder were there every single week. And so many others of you helped. You donated money, you gave food, you gave time, you watched kids. But that group of people was there for seven straight weeks trying to pour out of themselves and into these individuals. And sitting there on Sunday watching these two young moms graduate with tears in their eyes, you can see 
the transformation and change that happens in other people's lives when they are served by another person. You see life change when people are on the receiving end of people giving up of themselves in order to pour in to someone else. It's this beautiful glimpse of some of the work that's happening here. And I love the Families Count example because there were so many different ways that people served. They gave money, they watched kids, they cried with others, they chased kids around, they brought food, classes chipped in. There were so many different ways that people served. And I love that ministry as an example of what service means because I think it's important that we have a broad, big definition of service. And it's the reason why, if you've noticed, I've I've interchangeably used the word ministry and service as I've kind of moved through this lesson. Because what's really interesting is if we go back to the passage we started with, 2 Corinthians 4, at the beginning of that passage, Paul's going to say something about his ministry. He's going to say, it is by God's mercy that I have, that we have this ministry. And the word that he uses there in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 for ministry is a word that can also get translated service. For Paul, his ministry was his service. His service was his ministry. And so for those of us who are wondering, what's my ministry? Go find a place to serve. Your service then becomes your ministry. And for those of us who are wondering, what is my ministry doing? How is it helping? Your ministry is the place where you are serving, where you are trying to become and be a different kind of person in this world. And so this week, my encouragement, my challenge to you is not to just focus on the needs out there, although that's a part of it, but for us to begin to see ourselves, not just as any kind of servant, but as a servant for Jesus' sake. Not just any kind of servant, but a servant of Christ Jesus. And as we move through the world with those lenses on ourselves, we will look out into the world differently. This is such an encouraging thing to see in so many of you. And I want to encourage us, all of us, to keep living these kinds of lives selflessly and sacrificially for the sake of others. Why? Because we are not just any kind of servant. We're servants of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you. I thank you for examples of men and women all around this church who are modeling for us what it looks like to give of self for the sake of another. I pray that you would root us in that secure and assured identity that we have in you. God, ground us deeply in who we are in Christ. Ground us deeply in knowing where we have come from and where we are going. And help us to offer the gift of service wherever we find ourselves this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any response to the invitation, we're going to sing an invitation song. You can come forward. We'll also have shepherds in the back. You can make your response now while we stand and sing.